season's greetings, and welcome to another episode of Geeks Crossing. They call me Renaissance Matt Miser, and whatever I touch turns into a convoluted 30-minute episode in my clutch. I'm too much. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. Everything from The Nightmare Before Christmas to Elf to SpongeBob SquarePants to Netflix's brand new Alien Xmas special that came out this year to freaking the Sprite Cranberry commercial meme that goes around every year. All of those mimic this seemingly unspoken relationship between Christmas and stop-motion animation. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself why that is? It's all tied to one group, Rankin Bass Productions. This company has churned out more Christmas classics than any other studio. My family and millions of others around the country and the world enjoy the likes of some of their most famous works, including Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman, A Year Without a Santa Claus, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, and countless others. But today I want to take a step back in this episode of Renaissance Matt. As, as we do here, we, we look at the history of something that's incredibly important or interesting, and we say, what happened? How did this get so famous? How did this get so big? But why don't we start with the simplest question? How did it all begin? Like most other success stories, it all started with a dream. <laughs> but seriously, two relatively low-key dudes uh, crossed paths one day. One was Arthur Rankin Jr., an art director who started out at the American Broadcasting Company in the 1940s, a company better known today for its acronym, ABC. The other man was Jules Bass, a New York advertising agent. The two met in the 1950s, where they started work on commercials. In 1960, they officially founded a group called Video Craft International, a group that would soon change its name. Rankin and Bass grew their reputation going into the 1960s, and they decided they wanted to move past doing commercials. This introduced them to several other important characters in the studio's history. One was a Japanese man named Tadahito Tad Mochinaga. Mochinaga had an extensive career as an animator in Asia, beginning with a Japanese propaganda film detailing the bombing of Pearl Harbor that he later uh, said in several interviews that he regretted, uh, especially because they were meant to be shown towards children. He was uh, very unhappy with that. But regardless, his career was still very interesting after that. It brought him through Japan, China, and even Menchuoko, the puppet state that briefly existed during World War II. At some point, fun little history adage, Japan invaded China, founded their own little puppet state called Manchuoko, where the president of Manchuoko just answered to Japan. And that's where Mochinaga worked for a little while. He holds the distinction of being one of the very, very few artists to have worked in both communist China and democratic Japan at the dawn of the Cold War. Due to the extreme rarity of film strip material in China, Mochinaga often opted to use still photography and puppetry instead of film and live actors to save money and resources. As a result, he's credited with accidentally spreading stop motion to China, a practice that he continued to specialize with, his animation group, MOM Studios, upon his return to Japan. Rankin and Bass got in touch with Mochinaga as their days of only doing commercials came to an end, and they struck an agreement in which MOM Studios would animate their stop motion content, or as Rankin liked to call the stop motion content, Animagic. Rankin and Bass also made agreements to outsource their 2D animation to a few Canadian groups, as well as various Japanese groups, including Topcraft, which would eventually become Studio Ghibli, and Toei Animation, 
which would go on to create various well-known enemies, including Sailor Moon, Digimon, One Piece, and Dragon Ball, among others. Very interesting, that connection. I never knew. Their first major work was The New Adventures of Pinocchio in 1960, a series consisting of five-minute adventures following Pinocchio, his calm, orderly father, Geppetto, and the fast-talking, wise-cracking Jiminy Cricket. Drawing from the 1883 book, The Adventures of Pinocchio, where the character got its, you know, start, Rankin and Bass were very careful not to develop the same characters that Walt Disney had in his theatrical film 20 years earlier. That's why they made Jiminy Cricket the kind of wisecracking sidekick and Geppetto the soft-spoken, I guess, moral guide. Meanwhile, if you watch the Disney version, it's pretty much the opposite. As the new adventures of Pinocchio found decent success, Rankin and Bass were led into another important figure, a man named Romeo Muller. Raised on Long Island, New York, Muller had been an actor, a puppeteer, and writer since childhood, and he was just the person Rankin and Bass wanted to help them on their first screenplay for their first ever television special. This special would be Return to Oz, a sequel of some sorts to The Wizard of Oz, and would air on NBC's General Electric Block. Literally, a stretch of time in which the network would air content sponsored by General Electric. Return to Oz found moderate success. And, and before you guys say, oh, I've seen that movie before. It's not the 80s, Return to Oz. Totally different movie, different plot. Sorry, but <laughs> it just happens to be the same name. Because there is a book called Return to Oz that they're both based off of. Anyway, Return to Oz did find moderate success. And General Electric was intrigued. They wanted more from Rankin and Bass, and the duo was more than happy to keep making more TV specials. Rankin and Bass discussed with Muller, and the group found their idea in a little poem by the name of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. At the time the trio was looking for a movie idea, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was most famously a Christmas song, written by the songwriter Johnny Marks, and popularized by such famous 40s and 50s stars as Gene Autry, Spike Jones, and one of the world's first virtual bands, Alvin and the Chipmunks. Marx is also responsible for the song Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree and Run Rudolph Run. But Marx actually got the concept for Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer from his brother-in-law, the poet Robert May, who wrote the story and created the Rudolph character in 1939, inspired by his daughter's love of the deer at the Chicago Zoo. The story was also animated as a cartoon by Max Fleischer, animator of such characters as Betty Boop and Popeye, in 1948, before the song found its runaway success in 1949. So Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had certainly made its mark on American culture by the time Rankin and Bass decided he would make a fine choice for their first Christmas TV special. Still, Muller wrote a script that he thought would make for a fun story, involving misfit toys and elves that want to be dentists and an intrepid explorer looking for silver and gold. Still, um, years later, Muller expressed regret that his script was so incredibly different from May's poem, but he explained that he had simply never been able to find a copy. <laughs> Regardless, the stage was set for Rankin and Bass's first Christmas TV special. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was casted, with the country singer Burl Ives included as the snowman narrator towards the end of development to try to make the special more attractive to audiences. And the animation was completed in Tokyo under Mochinaga's supervision. Johnny Marks, who wrote the original Rudolph song, even wrote most of the songs for the special, including Silver and Gold, A Holly Jolly Christmas, Jingle Jingle Jingle, We Are Santa's Elves, and We're a Couple of Misfits, among many others. Finally, in December 1964, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer aired on NBC's General Electric Block to rave reviews. The special has aired every Christmas since, 
although it would be picked up by the Columbia Broadcasting System in 1972, again, more famously known today as its acronym, CBS. It hasn't missed a year since. The special would set some precedents that Rankin-Bass would continue to follow for all of its future specials, namely, titling it after a song, that's going to continue, and especially the use of celebrities for narrators and or key characters. Burl Ives' Sam the Snowman would only be the first example of this trend. With their comfortable gains after the success of Rudolph, Rankin and Bass would set out on a variety of other projects throughout the 1960s, a range of both animagic and traditionally animated specials that included Willie McBean and His Magic Machine in 1965, both The Ballad of Smokey the Bear and The Daydreamer in 1966, the Daydream is very interesting because it was actually a live-action movie, but the intro showed the characters in that classic Rankin-Bass Animagic style. The Wacky World of Mother Goose in 1967, and The Cricket on the Hearth that same year, based on the Charles Dickens novella of the same name. Another very interesting work was King Kong Escapes in 1967, a live-action kaiju movie that was adapted from The King Kong Show, which Rankin-Bass also worked on. Very, very wide range, right? These were successful, but none were the runaway hits that Rudolph was. So Rankin and Bass decided to turn uh, back to holiday specials. In 1967, they changed Videocraft International to Rankin Bass Productions. And one year later, they released The Mouse on the Mayflower, a Thanksgiving special about the plight of the pilgrims from the perspective of a stowaway church mouse. The special was narrated by country singer and television personality Tennessee Ernie Ford and performed modestly. Another Christmas special came from The Little Drummer Boy, released that same year in 1968. The special is notable because it followed the concept of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer by developing a special based on a famous Christmas song. In this case, The Little Drummer Boy song popularized by the Simeon Choral Ensemble. The special follows the same narrative of the song, following a poor boy with nothing but a drum who performs for Jesus and the Holy Family at the stable in Bethlehem. The Little Drummer Boy was successful, but it wasn't until 1969 where Rankin-Bass Productions would truly strike gold once again with Frosty the Snowman. Once again, this special was based on the, a famous Christmas song, this time the 1950s song first recorded by Gene Autry and later covered by Jimmy Durante. It's funny, that's two movies in a row that Gene Autry launched the song to stardom because Rudolph and Frosty. Anyway, uh, but Jimmy Durante later covered it. And in the Rankin-Bass special, Durante actually plays the narrator, while fellow comedian Jackie Vernon took the title role as Frosty. Vernon had previously found work as the opening act for such legendary figures as Dean Martin and Judy Garland. Romeo Muller was once again tasked with turning the short, simple song into a half-hour special, which followed a little girl and her friends accidentally bringing life to a snowman and having wintry fun with him while evading a conniving magician. The special was arguably Rankin-Bass's first 2D animated special to reach stardom, and the character has an iconic status, perhaps second only to Rudolph among the Rankin-Bass repertoire. Then came the 1970s, without a doubt the most crazy decade for Rankin-Bass. You gotta hear the range that they put out this decade, ready? So 1970, Santa Claus is coming to town, the legendary special starring Fred Astaire as a mailman who narrates the story, and Mickey Rooney as Santa. We learn the origin story of Santa Claus as an adopted child from elves, a toy deliverer, a toy maker. Great, great, iconic movie. 1971 saw Rankin-Bass stretch into Easter for the first time with Here Comes Peter Cottontail with Danny Kai as the narrator. Danny Kai was a famous singer and comedian as well, and this was not their last partnership. Uh, as in 1972, 
They would release The Enchanted World of Danny Kai, The Emperor's New Clothes. A, a sort of spoof on the famous fable, The Emperor's New Clothes. Interestingly, they, they stretched into television in the early 70s as well. In 1971 and 72, they released The Jackson 5 and The Osmonds, both of which were based on family bands at the time. The Jackson 5 never actually got the Jackson 5 as voice cast because they were so famous by then. But the Osmond family actually did voice the animated counterparts in the Osmond show. Uh, and 1972 also brought a television show called Kid Power, based off the comic We Pals by Maury Turner. 1974 brought Twas the Night Before Christmas, that iconic movie. I hope it's iconic for you, at least for my family it is. Traditionally animated, starring a little mouse family as Santa skips over their town due to a communication error. And 1974 also brought the legendary, I'm saying that a lot, but the iconic legendary movie, A Year Without a Santa Claus. This one had it all. A totally unique story, um, which I guess you could argue so did the other, uh, so did Twas the Night Before Christmas and Santa Claus Coming to Town, but like totally unique, right? Great story, great characters, Iconic music, especially the Miser Brothers songs. I mean, the Miser Brothers as a whole, just, uh, they make the movie, right? I mean, come on. They're, they're so popular and iconic in 2020 now. And 1975 brought with it The First Christmas, about a blind orphan growing up in a church orphanage. Uh, the head nun is voiced by Angela Lansbury. It's such a, it's such a crazy dichotomy, right? I mean, you have... Danny Kai playing the Emperor's New Clothes, and then you have unique Christmas stories that range from funny to sad, and then you have TV shows about boy bands. It's crazy, right? Or not boy bands, family bands, I guess you could say. The mid to late 70s saw Rankin Bass experiment with sequels to some of their earlier specials, with 1976 alone featuring three The Little Drummer Boy Book 2, Frosty's Winter Wonderland, and Rudolph's Shiny New Year the latter seeing the return of Rankin-Bass's first and most enduring success for the first time in 12 years. 1977 also brought a spiritual sequel with The Easter Bunny is Coming to Town, this time following The Easter Bunny's rise to stardom instead of Santa, but still featuring Fred Astaire as the mailman narrator. Frosty's Winter Wonderland follows Frosty's search for a wife, and Rudolph's Shiny New Year sees Rudolph tasked with finding the baby New Year in the mystical archipelago of lost years. Andy Griffith was Frosty's new narrator, while Red Skelton headlined Rudolph's Shiny New Year, two comedians who saw massive success starting in the 50s. And these two specials are also very, very iconic in, in my family. <laughs> we watch them every year. In 1977, Rankin-Bass mixed things up by animating J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit, which would be followed by The Return of the King in 1980. This was the first major adaptation of characters from the Lord of the Rings universe, and Rankin-Bass took some interesting approaches to many characters and elements. For example, they chose to portray Gollum as a frog-like creature instead of the more humanoid version from Peter Jackson's later movies. The late 70s also saw Nestor the Long-Eared Donkey in 1977, which followed a donkey uh, with, with long ears, gets mocked by his peers, and later has a very biblical role. The Stingiest Man in Town in 1977 as well, which was based off of an adaptation, uh, of an obscure but fairly well-liked adaptation, uh, a stage adaptation of A Christmas Carol. And Jack Frost in 1979. People sleep on this one. That's a great special, Jack Frost. Follows Jack Frost, you know, the, the figure who brings winter, kind of wanting to become human and live among the human because he falls in love with a girl. 
That same year, 1979, Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July came out. Arguably one of the biggest Rankin-Bass features yet. Billy Mae Richards and Jackie Vernon both reprised their roles in the biggest crossover event until Avengers Infinity War, as Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman unite to stop an evil warlock. Again, comedians headline the act, with Mickey Rooney reprising his role as Santa Claus from Santa Claus is Coming to Town and A Year Without a Santa Claus. Broadway legend Ethel Merman was also on board as the gun-toting ringleader of a seaside circus. Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July also saw limited release in movie theaters, perhaps due to its combination of such central Christmas characters. The special would also be the final appearance of both Rudolph and Frosty in a Rankin-Bass work, as the 80s brought the true end of the Rankin-Bass power dynamic. In 1982, The Last Unicorn was released, uh, based on the 1968 book, starring such big names as Angela Lansbury, Jeff Bridges, Mia Farrow, and Christopher Lee, if you can believe it. Uh, it followed the exploits of, as you can imagine, the last unicorn who tries to search, I believe, and, and find what happened to the rest of the unicorns. The decade also saw their final Animagic holiday specials. With Pinocchio's Christmas in 1980, a callback to the Pinocchio series that got Rankin Bass started in the early 1960s. Perhaps a little bittersweet then. The Leprechaun's Christmas Gold in 1981, and finally, The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus in 1985 based off the book of the same name by L. Frank Baum, who famously wrote the Wizard of Oz stories. The movie presents an alternate life story to Santa Claus, compared to the one presented in Santa Claus is Coming to Town, 15 years earlier, and stars Earl Hammond as Santa, instead of Mickey Rooney. And this would be the final Animagic movie produced by Rankin-Bass Studios. The studio's influence and success had been waning since the end of the 1970s, and shutdown seemed imminent. However, the studio still had one last ace up its sleeves. In 1985, Rankin-Bass returned to television for the first time in years with a cartoon featuring relatively obscure characters, Thundercats. The show would go on to be a cult classic, though at the time it was not enough to save the studio. Finally, in 1987, Rankin-Bass officially shut down its production company. Arthur Rankin settled into a comfortable life in Bermuda, while Jules Bass became a vegetarian and wrote the book Herb the Vegetarian Dragon to promote his cause to children. The studio was absent through the 1990s. Romeo Muller passed away in 1992, while Tad Mochinaga retired and passed away in 1999. That year, Rankin and Bass teamed up with Morgan Creek Productions and Nest Family Entertainment to create an animated adaptation of The King and I, a famous Rodgers and Hammerstein musical from the 1950s. But the movie was a total flop. Their last major work before truly leaving the scene was in 2001 with an obscure TV special that was once again named after a Christmas carol and once again headlined by a celebrity. Santa Baby, starring Patti LaBelle as the narrator. Eartha Kitt, who made the song Santa Baby famous in 1953, also starred in the special. And here's a fun fact. Suzanne Collins, who co-wrote the script to the movie, would go on to write the Hunger Games trilogy and become a multimillionaire. <laughs> So yeah, you know, humble beginnings, I guess. Santa Baby was the first Rankin-Bass Christmas special since the end of the animation company in 1987, and it would also be not only their last Christmas special, but their last major work. Rankin passed away on January 30th, 2014, at the age of 89. Jules Bass, now 85 years old, leaves a quiet life in retirement. And yet, their impact on us is immeasurable. 
Driving through my neighborhood around this time of year, it is impossible not to see Rudolph or Frosty hanging out on someone's front lawn. <laughs> Many Rankin-Best Christmas movies are a holiday staple and have shaped not only the movies we watch this time of year, but the music we listen to. Rudolph, Frosty, Little Drummer Boy, Year Without a Santa Claus, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Jack Frost, the list goes on. These movies showcase some of the best characters, stories, and even music. Plenty of Rankin-Bass's other works, like The Last Unicorn and The Hobbit, have gone on to gain cult followings as fans enjoy them year-round. Thundercats, I mean, heck, Thundercats is still such a big property, I'm pretty sure they rebooted that sucker. In short, though Rankin-Bass may be most remembered for its animagic stop-motion animation and its Christmassy cheer, the studio was always one to take risk and diversify its portfolio, ranging from Christmas specials to Thanksgiving specials to Easter specials, from Pinocchio to King Kong to completely independent projects, from the works of Charles Dickens, the Jackson 5, and J.R.R. Tolkien alike. It's hard to imagine a studio like Rankin-Bass today taking the risks that this studio took back then, but I think it's safe to say we're all better for it. This has been another Geeks Crossing podcast, and I hope you and your family and friends and loved ones are having an enjoyable holiday season in the face of all the, you know, <laughs> craziness in the world today. Be sure to follow us on uh, at Geeks Crossing on Instagram and continue listening to us where you're listening to us now on Spotify, Apple, Anchor, um, Google Podcasts, wherever you, uh, you normally listen to us. What are your thoughts on the Rankin-Bass Christmas specials or any of Rankin-Bass's various IPs? Were you surprised with some of the information you heard today? Because I certainly did not know that they made um, Thundercats when I was researching this episode. That came as a shock. <laughs> uh, and I also didn't know the, the little th fact about Susan Collins. I mean, man, talk about a rags to riches story there. Well, regardless, uh, let your thoughts be known. Uh, what's your favorite song from these movies, right? I think I'm probably going to have to go with the Miser Brothers on that one. But regardless, enjoy your holiday season and may your days be merry and bright. I'm Matt, and this has been a Geeks Crossing podcast. I'm too much. <laughs>